So I'm just honored to speak to our church and really represent the ladies this morning. Ladies, I wanted to speak to you this morning, mostly mamas, but mostly to get you thinking about your mamas if you haven't become a mama yet. And so I wanted to first say thank you to you. I know that you don't hear it probably enough to correspond to as much as you do. And so I wanted you to hear from us. Thank you. Thank you for giving up sleep for us. Thank you for, I mean, goodness, my mom drove to, to HEB this morning to buy me strawberries, and I should be doing the same for her, if not more. And so you mamas are absolutely incredible. You're on call 24-7. I don't know if you've realized that or not, but you are. Whether it is at night when they have a nightmare or they pee their bed or you're, they're sick and you are doing the unspeakable of cleaning up things that you thought you would never clean up in your lifetime, you are just incredible. You spend selfless, selfless hours. You're on call even when they're in school, you're at work, you have your phone by you all the time just in case they call you from school. And then you think when they leave the house and they go off to college, or even if they get married, that you probably don't think you're on call, but you still are on call. And when they have babies, you're on Nana, Grandma, Gigi, duty. <laughs> 20, you have that phone 24-7 because you're probably needed. And so you do so many things to sew in to your kids. And I want you to know that it doesn't go unseen. It doesn't go unseen by me, who's actually experienced. It doesn't go unseen, most importantly, by your Heavenly Father. And so he loves you, and he appreciates all that you do, whether it's seen or unseen. So I want to pray over you this morning. Father, I thank you for the mothers in here. I thank you of the selfless hours, the selfless acts that they do from dishes, to mopping floors, to laundry, to being a taxi to and from. And Lord, I thank you that they are raising up men and women of God that will soon, Lord, become husbands and wives and mothers themselves. And so, Father God, I just pray, Lord, that you would refresh them today by knowing that they are so appreciated by you and they, you see everything that they do, Lord. And so I pray today that they would feel loved by you. Father, would you fill them up in incredible ways to refresh them, continuing to be on that call 24-7. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I have for you my best Mother's Day joke. I hope that you're ready. <laughs> so there's a little boy, his name is Sammy, and he is in his Sunday school class. And his teacher asked him, tell me, Sammy, do you say your prayers before eating? And Sammy responded, no, ma'am, I don't have to. My mom's a good cook. <laughs> so last week, my husband Ben smoke started our, kicked our series off called God is Able. God is able to do more. He spoke about our finances and how God is able to use not just 
the 90, but use the full 100 and do way more with the full 100 than we could do the 90. And so today we continue that series, God is Able to Do More. So if you have your Bibles this morning or your phones, would you open up to Luke 10? That's where we'll be this morning. In Luke 10, there's an interaction between two women. Some of you are probably really familiar with this story, and if you aren't, we're going to unpack it for you. Mary and Martha, they were sisters, and they were the sisters of Lazarus, which we've heard of Lazarus being raised from the dead. They were all Jewish. And the reason why I say Jewish is because in that culture, Jewish were considered like slaves for the women, not the men, but for the women. They wore veils over their heads. They had no education. They did the housework all day, so much so that they didn't want them to be distracted. So they didn't allow them to do anything else because they wanted them to focus on the housework. They had no voice. They were pretty much outcasts. They never got to hear the readings. They never got to learn. They even, some of them even grew up in marriages that involved polygamy, so they had several wives. I don't know about you, but I can barely handle myself as a wife and my husband, and if you were to add any other wives to that, it would be a crazy hot mess. No thank you. So not only were the Jewish women second to the men, but they were also second to any other woman, the, the Gentile women. So the Gentile women just pretty much means that they weren't Jewish. So they were bottom of the food chain. And the only men that they were connected to in their lives were as a role of a mother or a role as a wife. Yet Jesus, in Jesus' fashion, he comes in. He's not bothered by any of those things. He's not bothered that they're uneducated. He's not bothered that they seem like outcast. None of that bothered him. As I was studying, getting ready for this, and really just engaging and trying to find out more about the culture and the day that they lived in and the age and the things that were going on around them, I found this really interesting fact is that when Jesus died and the stone was rolled away, the two women were there. They were the ones to hear it first. He was entrusting to them the greatest news humanity had ever heard to women. And their job was to go and tell people he is risen. Isn't that incredible? Knowing what's going on in that day and age. So in Luke 10, verse 38 through 42, it's all taking place at Martha's home and, Mar and Mary in Bethany. And so in verse 38, it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. 
when I, as I'm studying and I'm gathering things, I really feel like Martha created this place for Jesus to want to stop. She probably had some of the best cooking, I can imagine. If I'm going to stay somewhere, somebody probably cooks well, and I want to come and sit and enjoy their food. She probably had just such a sweet-spirited environment. She probably had those nice, clean, crispy sheets, almost like a, a nice hotel. I mean, she probably went above and beyond to make him feel welcomed in her home. But the thing I love about Martha, and that I can relate to myself, is Martha is a get-it-done kind of girl. And if you know anything about me, after I took my Strength Finders test, every category went under the theme, the umbrella of executor. I just want to get things done. So much so, you might get ran over when I'm trying to get things done. So I apologize if you've been in my way. <laughs> So I can imagine Martha, in her executing way, wanting to get things done to prepare for Jesus. And the thing about Jesus, as we read in so many stories, is Jesus probably didn't come with like one or two people. He probably came with like a whole posse of people. So she wasn't just hosting, you know, just, you know, the typical like Mary and Lazarus. She was hosting everyone else, too, that came to his to came with him, right? Because they wanted to be with him. He had something to offer. So as I think about me and how I host Connect Group every other week in my home, I have these moments where I'm executing. I want to get things done. I want the floors swept. I want them mopped. I want the counters wiped down. I want the bathroom squeaky clean. I want the trashes taken out. I have this like get it done mentality. I have my mom, I give my mom a to-do list. I give Ben a to-do list. Brielle's wiping counters. She's two. I mean, everybody has something to do. And then the sweet part, that I got a present was my Roomba. If you don't have a Roomba, it's amazing. Just ask for one. It's Mother's Day. So you go and press the Roomba. The Roomba's going everywhere crazy. You maybe even run it once or twice or three times. But I want the house to look squeaky clean. And so I can imagine Martha. She's excited. This is her gift. She has a gifting of hospitality. She has a gifting of serving. So she's excited to not only host and serve, but she's hosting and serving Jesus. And so I can only tell, I can only relate and think, gosh, if I'm hosting Jesus, how perfect I would want my house to look. But in that moment, she gets distracted. She quickly becomes disappointed because her sister Mary is not helping. And disappointments are real. And to us in this moment, it may seem like it's really not that big of a deal, but it was a big deal to Martha. She felt like Mary wasn't helping her at all. She had placed her expectations on Mary to help her host, to help her be hospitable. The thing was, is Mary was imposing a standard, Mar sorry, Martha was imposing a standard on Mary that wasn't her calling. Mary didn't have necessarily the calling of hospitality and serving. I know for me, I've had lots of disappointments in my life, maybe similar to Martha, but you've probably 
are facing different disappointments in your life. Some of those disappointments may look like you applying for jobs and then find out you didn't get it. You're still applying, unemployed. You're leaving disappointed in that moment. Maybe you already have a job and you are applying for this promotion. You go through interview after interview after interview only to find out three weeks later you didn't get it. You leave disappointed. Some of you are single in here. <laughs> See what I'm saying? You're disappointed. Some of you are married in here and you feel like, well, I was single and I was disappointed. Then I got married and I have all these things to look forward to. We're going to sit on the couch. We're going to eat ice cream together. We're going to watch Netflix all day. We're going to veg and nobody has to drive home. We get to stay in the same house and save on gas money. And it's amazing. But then your husband doesn't take out the trash. That starts annoying you. And then all of a sudden you're the wife and you start nagging. You start nagging your husband to take out the trash. And all of a sudden, that turns into frustration that boils over and boils over. And you start thinking, like, I can't do this. This is crazy. This is insane. And you start feeling disappointed. Some of you are facing an illness, whether it's terminal, or somebody that's really dear to you is facing an illness. And it's left you disappointed. Some of you have attended a church, and you're enjoying the amazing worship, you're engaging, you like the people that are giving their messages, you're enjoying it, and you're thinking, this is incredible, this is it's right where I want to be, you're, you're getting in a connect group, you're building relationships, years go by, the relationships are getting deeper and deeper, then all of a sudden, somebody in leadership makes a bad choice, an immoral choice. And it doesn't just affect you, it affects the whole congregation and people are trickling out. And this so-called perfect church is not perfect and it's left you disappointed. My teammate in college, her name's Monica, she, we quickly became great friends and she became my maid of honor and I got married and she got married three years later. And in those in that time, she got married. They, they eventually wanted to have a baby. They were ready. They were prepared, and they were excited, and they started trying, and a year goes by, and nothing, and then another year goes by, and still nothing, and one more year goes by, and three years later, they find themselves frustrated, disappointed, trying to find answers, and they weren't getting any answers, so they were disappointed. They ended up splitting up, and they were both disappointed. When I was five years old, my dad went to prison. To say the least, that left me young and without a dad and disappointed. So I had my sweet, sweet grandmother, who when my dad wasn't there, she was there to speak to, to be my, just speak into my life almost like a best friend. And when she passed away, it left me disappointed. Two years ago, you might have noticed that I was huge and pregnant, 42 weeks huge and pregnant. I went to the hospital. I had a plan. I was getting induced, and we were going to have this baby, and had all these things planned in my mind. 
And when I get there, hour after hour after hour, the plan wasn't going how I thought it was supposed to go, how I wanted it to go. And so I ended up having a C-section, and that left me disappointed. One of my most recent disappointments came when our two-year-old little boy, you guys, some of you know him, his name is Benson, and when he was younger, he wasn't speaking very much, and I kept telling the doctor, you know, over and over, he's not talking, there's something going on, I feel like there's something wrong, and he just assured me he's fine, he's going to talk when he's ready, and so I said, okay, and eventually, in mom fashion, I just wasn't okay with the answer. I was feeling disappointed that everywhere I went, he wasn't talking like other kids were talking. And so I was disappointed. Then we take him to the doctor and find out after two and a half years, he's been hearing muffled because his ears aren't draining the way that they're supposed to drain. And so I felt disappointed that he wasn't here hearing, so he wasn't able to speak the way that he's supposed to be speaking. He had surgery. I was scared, scared that he was having surgery, and disappointed that it had to get to the point of surgery. So you are probably facing some of these things. You can probably relate to some of these disappointments. And even though Martha had this disappointment that may seem like something small, we may be facing disappointments or have faced disappointments that are big. And no matter what, if they're small or if they're big, they still have a sting, and they still affect us as a person. As I was thinking about this, I wonder how we react in our disappointment. In verse 40, it says, But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I don't know about you, but if I was Martha in that moment, I would have probably had this dish towel over my shoulder, and I would probably be looking at Mary, like, giving her the, the stink eye. Like... <laughs> And be wanting some help from her. And thinking if I give her the stink eye, maybe she'll come in here and help me finish what I need to be doing. And then I would be stirring and being overwhelmed because I realized I probably never hosted just like more than three or four people. Now I'm hosting like 16 because Jesus brought his posse. And I'm in here overwhelmed. Like how do I make that much bread? And how are we going to serve them? I don't even have that many plates, napkins. I don't, I mean, what am I going to do? And then I'm just disturbed by my sister who just keeps sitting there seeing me do all this work and not doing things. So I'm trying to get her attention. So I'm like banging some pans around like, come help me. You see I'm in here by myself doing all this work. Come and help me. I start entertaining these thoughts in my mind, these lies. It's she needs to help me too. I don't know who she thinks she is. She needs to come in here and serve. She's being rebellious. I start entertaining all of these lies and making assumptions. And then I think, how was my reaction to Benson? How's my reaction to Benson when he's not hearing? Yes, I'm disappointed. 
Yes, I'm frustrated that he's this little and he has to face so much adversity. I feel like it's not fair to him. And then kids start noticing the difference in him. They start pointing it out. What's wrong? Why isn't he talking? Why did he say it like that? And they start correcting him. And even so much so, sometimes they don't want to play with him because they can't understand him. And so I become this helicopter parent trying to protect him, hoarding over every play date like I have to protect this kid if other kids are going to pick on him. If other kids are going to pick out the things in him where he's lacking. That led me to eventually venting. You've probably been a victim of my venting. And my victim, my, my venting would, would go to anybody who really would just listen to me. You know, when they ask you, like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm good. It's my, my son. He's not talking yet. And I just don't understand. And then, you know, he's got to have the surgery and all of this stuff. And so I would just start venting to anybody who would listen to me as if they had the answers. But I just really wanted to vent. And then as I'm venting, I'm placing the lies of the enemy in my mind. And I just start entertaining them and fueling them. But the truth is... God is able to do more than you think in your disappointments. God is truly able to do more in your disappointments because your disappointment will lead to the right appointment. We are disappointed. God is waiting for an appointment. After I felt like life went sideways, I thought we were supposed to be going down this path, and we end up taking a turn and going down this path. Vice versa, you just, you get twisted and off what you thought you were supposed to be going or headed. In your disappointment, you need perspective. Martha, in that moment of disappointment, broken expectations, she was probably stewing on that about her sister. But the thing that Martha did is she went to Jesus in her disappointment, in her broken expectation. She went to Jesus. She went to the source that could actually help her process through the situation she was so frustrated about. How many times do we find ourselves venting to other people before we go to Jesus? How many times do we sit and stew and entertain the thoughts and the lies of the enemy in our mind? Sometimes it happens for weeks. Sometimes it happens for months. Sometimes, if you're like me, you do it for a decade. And that's just if we're being honest with ourselves. With Benson, I entertained so many lies in that moment to lead to my greatest, what I call it, my greatest mom moment ever. So we're at... The soccer game, and Benson's playing for the first time. I mean, he's only three, but he goes out on the field, and he's just, like, standing there. He's not doing anything. Everybody's running around him, and if you know me, I'm an athlete, so I'm expecting him to, like, go out there and at least kick the ball or kick a kid, do something. <laughs> he's just standing there, and when they come, the ball comes around him, he just kind of, like, looks up, like, uh, like, he's not there. Like, he's this big tree stump, and he just stands there. And I'm going, 
what is he doing? Why is he doing this? Why is he just standing there? Benson, go kick the ball. Benson, get out there. And I look at my mom and I go, Mom, is there something wrong with him? But I was serious because I had entertained all these lies that something was wrong with him. And I fueled on it and I fueled on it. And I had these broken expectations that I had placed on my son. Martha might have entertained some thoughts herself, but she really sought after the truth to process her frustrations, her disappointment, and her broken expectations. In church, I will tell you, God is able to do way more with our broken expectations than we ever can. And what's awesome about Jesus is he's doing the very opposite of what's expected of him in that very moment. I know if I was Jesus in that moment, I probably would have said, yes, Mary, you need to go help your sister. She needs help in there. Go help her. Get in there. But Jesus, he doesn't say that. Instead, he responds, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. I really believe when Jesus says something in the Bible, and he says it more than one time, he's really, whatever comes after that, he's trying to get your attention. In the book of John, he says, truly, truly, and then out comes all this wisdom and something incredible, but yet so simple. And so for him, when he's saying, Martha, Martha, I believe he's not only trying to get Martha's attention, but he's trying to get our attention as well. She was just going to Jesus to vent, to talk about her disappointment. But it was right there that Martha stayed long enough to hear what he had to say. I really believe that she was able to be healed by his words in that moment. God is able to do more when we allow him to come in and heal us. My sweet friend Erin has walked me through lots of healing, but there's one thing that she says, God can't heal what you won't reveal. Let me say that again. God can't heal what you won't reveal. When you reveal to him your disappointments, your broken expectations, he wants to take all of those, heal them, and make your heart align with your mind to align with him. So I don't understand why, why, why does it take us so long to come to him, to talk to him, to talk through our disappointments? Instead, we let those disappointments guide our lives instead of Jesus. And if you don't already know this, I have a huge heart to see men and women healed. Healed of their disappointments in their lives. Healed of different situations that they've faced in their lives. I want to be able to see men and women Walk in the fullness of him so that you can really fulfill your calling and purpose of what he has for you. As I was preparing for this message, my sweet friend Monica, that had all the disappointment, not being able to have this baby, 
not being able to get pregnant, all of those things. But he came in. He engaged her. She started coming to church. She started getting involved. And then she went and grabbed her husband and said, if we're going to make this work, we're going to have to attend something together. It's called re-engage. We're going to go to this together. We're going to work on our marriage, and we're going to try to make this work. So she put Jesus first. She grabbed her husband. They started making things work. And then they went to get in vitro, and the first try they got pregnant. And it was so awesome to see how God came in and healed and restored her. And now they have this sweet baby that they get to hold in their arms, sweet little baby Bryce. And he is absolutely precious. Well, as I mentioned earlier, my dad left when I was five years old. And so when I was younger, I used to just sit and pray. Pray that he would get out because I felt like if he got out, he would make things so much better in my life and that things would just be a lot easier. So in seventh grade, my dad came back. He's into our home, but I had these expectations, and he wasn't meeting them, and it looked different. It wasn't what I thought it was going to look like, and so for me, I felt this just broken expectation, and it felt like a huge hole that eventually became a decade of it, and I was trying to fill it with anything that I could to try to make myself feel better. But the amazing thing is, it didn't feel better until I finally said yes to church. I went to church, and I got surrounded by ladies that were able to speak truth into me in that moment. They said, Brandy, Thank you for being vulnerable, but I want you to know that what your earthly father can't fulfill in his expectations, your heavenly father can. When I look back on some of my disappointments and what I feel like I missed out on in that moment, I felt like I missed out on the daddy-daughter moments. But what's really cool about Jesus is that he comes and what I was disappointed about, he came in and filled. And now I, I get to experience it through a different lens. I get to experience it through my daughter, where my husband's going to take her on daddy-daughter dates and how he's going to take her to the daddy-daughter dance. All of those things that I felt like I missed out on, I now get the best seat in the house to experience through the lens of my sweet little girl and her daddy. When Jesus responded to Martha, I believe some healing, supernaturally even, took place. As I was studying, I came to find out that Martha's name meant mistress and bitterness. And I can imagine in those moments where she's stewing over her sister Mary, she is getting bitter and bitter. And her sister Mary's name meant rebellious. And I thought, how ironic. Martha was probably still seeing Mary as rebellious. As she's sitting in the other room, she thinks she's being rebellious because she's not helping her. She still sees her and what the world and how the world has seen her. But Jesus comes in. 
God sent his son to walk this earth, to come in and heal them and take away their worldly calling and give them purpose and the calling that he's placed on their life. He educated them. He sat with them. He equipped them. He modeled it all for them in only that little time that he had to be in their presence. How many of you know it would look a lot different, you would look a lot different if you had spent time in his presence in those moments, in the same room, being healed by him? I could only imagine for a second how that would feel. Because here, we have to literally imagine, right? We weren't there, faced with him, sitting with him in this presence the way they did physically. As I raise my sweet little speech challenge son, Benson, I will remember that Jesus hears my disappointments. He sees my broken expectations. And as I was preparing for this message, I found this poem. It's by Emily Pearl Kingsley. She's an American writer who joined the Sesame Street team in 1970. And she's actually been writing for the show ever since. Her son, Jason, was born with Down syndrome. So I wanted to give you a little background before I read it. The name of it is called Welcome to Holland. I'm often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability, to try to help people who have not shared that unique experience to understand it, to imagine how it would feel. It's kind of like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and make wonderful plans, the Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the gondolas in Venice. You may learn some handy phrases in Italian. It's all very exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. The stewardess comes in and says, welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean, Holland? I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All of my life, I've dreamed of going to Italy. But there's a change in the flight plan. They've landed in Holland, and there you must stay. The important thing is that you've taken, they haven't taken you to a horrible or disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine, and disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out, buy new guidebooks. You must learn a whole new language. And you will meet a whole new group of people you would have never met in just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there for a while, you can catch your breath and look around. And you begin to notice that Holland has windmills. Holland has tulips. Holland even has Rembrandts. But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy, and they're all bragging about a wonderful time they had there. And for the rest of your life, you will say, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And the pain of that will never, ever, ever go away. Because the loss of that dream is very, very significant. But if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to go to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. The awesome thing about God is he is able to do more than we can think or imagine 
with our disappointments and with our broken expectations. As I was processing through this message, I felt like I was going one direction. And God turned me around and said, no, I'm taking you here. He put a whole twist, a different spin on where I thought I was going. He just came in and gave me a new perspective. He trained me up to celebrate and love Benson's little wins. We sat this weekend at another program. I went in with different expectations for that program. As my little guy went up, so proud and so bold, he stood up there. He didn't do the motions. He didn't sing the songs. But you know what he did do? He was brave, and he stood up there. And as I sat in the crowd, I recorded him like I was the proudest mom there because it was such a huge win for him. He's facing adversity, and he's facing it head on, and he's being bold. In the back of my mind, I've had this thought like, oh, man, I feel like I didn't get to enjoy the little moments with him where he's baby talking and saying all these cute little things, and I felt like I really had missed out. And then the Lord came in and said, Brandy, Brandy, I'm healing you and redeeming what seems like a lost experience for you. I have blessed you with a baby girl that was talking earlier than most her age. I didn't want you to feel disappointed that you missed out on the experience of your son, so I sent you a double portion with your daughter. Jesus has healed me in so many places where I felt disappointed or have had broken expectations. And there's still some places that he's probably going to heal in me still. But he's allowed me to be vulnerable and had women speak into my life and speak truth into me. And as I got to sit at his feet many, many times, Tears running down my face because I would reveal to him all the burdens that I didn't want to carry anymore. In Psalm 147.3, he says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So this morning as Jules is singing, God is able, I want you to have an experience with him, to be able to sit at his feet Tell him your disappointments. Tell him your broken expectations. Because I believe this morning that he wants to come in and heal you. So I want to pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you put a twist and turn on a message you had me deliver today. Because there are people in here that need to hear that you know their disappointments. That you know their broken expectations. And that you want them to sit at your feet. You want to speak to them this morning. You want to heal them, Father. And you are so near to the brokenhearted. So, Father God, I pray as they lay their burdens at your feet, Father God, that you would just speak truth like you do to us. And like you did to Martha. Father God, would we have ears to hear this morning. 
Would we have a heart and mind that would be realigned with you this morning, with your heart and mind, Father God? And Lord Jesus, we thank you in advance for the words that you're going to speak. In Jesus' name.